On today's Love show, we welcome Dr. Rita Louise as her and I discuss her controversial book, Stepping Out of Eden. Join me now, Reverend Dr. Michael Leike, on a journey towards oneness with our higher self and a life of being all that we can be. Welcome back, everybody, to my show. I'm very excited to welcome this week a best-selling author, founder of the Institute of Applied Energetics. She's the host of her own Just Energy radio show. Uh, She's a naturopath, physician, medical intuitive, a clairvoyant. I'm running out of breath here, Rita. And you've (laughs) produced as well a number of feature-length videos and video shorts. And we could talk, we were just saying off the air, we could talk for hours about even just one of the things that you've done, and I know you've written a million books, literally, literally a million books. Um, But today we're going to welcome you and we're going to discuss Stepping Out of Eden. Thank you so much for joining us this day. Well, and thank you so much for having me on and getting to spend some time with you and your listeners. Awesome. I do hear feedback. I hope your volume is down from your end on on your blog talk thing. Uh, I've also just turned down the uh, the volume on my thing as well. Um, so yes, we're here to talk about stepping out of Eden and also off air. I discussed that I really believe um, that the origins of mankind, humankind, may not be of terra firma, not necessarily of this physical earth. And you've gone and done all the work for me. And for a lot of people, you've done the research, you've done, um, you've looked into genetics and archaeology, and you've looked at everything from so many angles. So let's sink our teeth into this and and talk about it. I don't even know where to begin with you. Well, um, my going into this subject matter is that I really like looking at myths and looking at culture. And so the material that I have brought forward and have included the archaeology, the genetics, the other sciences, the contemporary sciences, is I have myth on one hand, and then I have science and have looked at how the two pair together to make a congruent narrative. And so you made the comment about humanity maybe not being of this earth. And, you know... The evidence I really bring forward comes from the mythic record where it is extremely suggestive that, um, you know, that we were created species and that we were created on the earth. You know, and so the bigger question comes into play is, you know, in biblical terms, you know, it talks about that God created humanity. But we find that same narrative in every culture on the planet where God or some divine creature created humanity. And so then you get into the semantics of it. It's like, well, who or what is God? You know, is it this divine presence, this omnipotent being that we all pray to, or is it something else? You know, in these stories, is it something else? And I choose to be of the opinion that what we're talking about is something else, you know, and more like an extraterrestrial race 
that did genetic engineering. And today, genetic engineering is not some science fiction concept anymore and mixed their DNA with animal species that were existing on the earth. And from a conceptual point of view, if you're an extraterrestrial race, and I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a Star Trek girl, um, you know, but when Captain Kirk would be, you know, navigating through the galaxy or the universe, you know, they would always look for a class and planet because a class and planet supported life, human life. And so in order for an extraterrestrial race to come and live on the Earth, they had to come to a planet that supported their life, their life form. And one of the things that you find in the mythic record, not very specifically, but by inference, was they had some issues being on the Earth. And they would come here for short periods of time. They would cover their bodies with gold to, as a reflective sur- substance so that they could deal with the infrared radiation. They lived in underground bases, you know, and so they didn't spend a lot of time on the surface. And so it made sense that they mixed their DNA with something that was indigenous to the planet because then it could live on the planet, on the planet's surface. Yes, yes, very, very good. And um, just deviating slightly about archaeology, the, the more, and pun intended, the more we dig into archaeology and, and more research is found and had, we're finding more correlation between these so-called myths and stories and physical reality. And, and that's what excites me a great deal. I'm a Star Trek guy um, <laughs> as well. Uh, William Shatner was from Montreal originally, which is where I'm from, and, and I knew some of his family as well. But that being said, something always spoke to me about mythology, about science fiction, and that people, uh, they, they seem to come awfully close to truth when they're writing what supposedly is science fiction, when they're writing things that are supposedly myths, pure myths, and and I wonder, is this really being channeled? What is going on here? Because um, many, many years later, decades later, after certain books were written, science fiction books and, and TV shows and, and whatnot, we, we find that a lot of that has become a reality. Now, I'm going to pose this question more to our listeners out there than to you because, and let, well, hopefully you'll pipe in anyway. Are, are these predictions of the future or are they reflecting the past? Because there, there's something intuitively that strikes me that says when we look out towards you know, the future or these bald-headed creatures, we're actually looking at the past because, as many people know, when we're looking out towards the stars, they're not really there. They've moved on already. So we're, in reality, literally and figuratively, looking at the past. So really when, and and we can get into a million things here, of course, I've I've done (laughs) it again, Dr. Rita, Um, uh, which came first, the science fiction writer and their stories, um, the myth tailor, um, or teller, rather, I should say. Myth Taylor sounds like an actor or an actress on TV, an, an old one. Um, uh, or what? What is the score? What is the story? And then when we turn to science, as you have, and DNA and archaeology and, and, and things that really excite me, 
they tend to bridge that gap already. And um, uh, I want to excite people a little bit more about your findings. I want to excite people with realities that you have found, um, which previously perhaps were myth or perhaps were science fiction. Um, do, do you care to share that with us? Sure. So there's so many different directions I can go in. Um, so one of my soapbox items is the concept that the myth that we find on the planet is one consistent global narrative. And so if you, you know, and I hate throwing out the Bible all the time, but people know those stories. Um, if you take Genesis 1 through the Noah flood story, that narrative is consistently portrayed in every culture around the world, with one difference. In the other cultures, there are multiple gods. There are pantheons of gods. And in the biblical tradition, there's one god. And so you can't have Kronos battling Uranus or battling Zeus because there's only one god. And so all of those stories had to be deleted in order to fit into the biblical text. And I have to tell you, that was shocking to me because I was looking at myths around the world and comparing them together and correlating them in timelines. And, and then I looked at the biblical text and it fit perfectly into the exact same narrative base. So with that said, you know, there is the concept of myths just being stories. And I do not believe that the stories that come to us from history are science fiction. I firmly believe that they came from somewhere, that they were retellings of things that people experienced, one of two things, things that people experienced, or they were stories that the gods shared with us as if we were little children, and then we passed them on generation to generation. For example, you know, we often write about things that we know, and we might tweak it a little bit and kind of put a little more advancement on it, but these were people that maybe the highest piece of technology they had was a bow and an arrow. Yes. Okay, and they're talking about chariots flying through the sky and these weapons that are laser beams and smiting their enemies and taking off the tops of the mountains. Where did that come from? I mean, there was not anything in their cognizant reality to support that level of advanced understanding of technology. I mean, we can look at it now and go, oh, well, they probably had some kind of laser thing. But then it's like, it, and, and these weapons were always of the gods. Humanity never had them. They were always, or they were gifts from the gods you know, that were given to demigods and select individuals. Um, and so I feel like those stories, you know, came from a original source, you know, and we just carried them forward, you know, but they're not, they're not fiction, you know, and I feel like especially you take the concepts that are portrayed and then the globalism of the story because every culture has the same narrative. It might be broken up, but you can piece major segments together, and, you know, because they always talk about a golden age. 
They talk about the creation of the earth and, you know, the, the terraforming of the earth. They talk about a God that lives in the sky. They talk about a God that lives in, under the ground or in the water. And so there's this consistency that you find. And so if, if I made up my mythology and you made up your mythology, the stories we would tell would be inherently different. But that's not what we find. Yes, absolutely. I find the only differences are cultural. Um, for example, uh, I'm Jewish. I was uh, uh, born and raised a Jew, although um, my holidays were measured with food. So um, It's a Jewish thing. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so I wasn't taught a lot until like 20, 25 years ago when I did my own research on my own religion and, and culture and, and myths and, and whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, I was studying Christianity and I was studying a number of other um, belief systems. And um, I, I think it was my wife-to-be, the one that I'm currently married to, and, and she started um, talking about a, a Bible story from New Testament as opposed to the Torah. And um, I said, well, no, that's the Buddha. And because we, we can trace so many stories where, where the Buddha walked through poverty, through towns, and, and, and so much of what was told about the Buddha is also told in Christianity and told in other faiths and cultures, etc. Um, mainly probably because there were just so many stories and so many uh, tales and so many things to know. And, and the differences in the cultures are what kind of gave the salt and pepper to it. And um, not to mention languages as well, because um, mm -hmm. as a Jewish person who studied probably not enough, um, the languages that um, those books, those texts were written in, were translated so many times. And yet when you go beyond that, you still begin to see those same truths, I'm going to call them truths, that you have found, such as objects in the sky, such as chariots, if you will, such as, and this is a common one that many, many people are familiar with, if you look at uh, hieroglyphics, for example, or, or even before then, caveman days, stuff on caves, the illustrations are very interesting. They, they tell similar tales of heroes falling and then rising up, but more than that, especially in Egyptian hieroglyphics and, and illustrations, you do see things flying in the air. And, and what, what in tarnation, I'm going to say, what and is And it's this? not a bird. Hello? <laughs> what is this all about? And, and this excites me, and I hope it excites a lot of other people without inciting, um, because you can get excited, but you can also get um, roused a little bit, especially if your belief system is, is any kind of traditional religion, then it's like, oh my God, this is bad, or oh my God, they don't know what they're talking about. But science speaks for itself, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to put a little brain, little piece of candy in your brain. So there is an author, you know, I, lo I love um, archive.org because they have collections of books that were written prior to 1930. And those authors just stated material, you know, like, oh, well, and then we were doing this stuff, and we found, like, in Bones of Giants, which today, edit, edit, edit. And so there is this one author, and I don't remember the name of the book, and he was talking about myth. 
And one of the things he said that stuck in my mind was, you have the story of an individual, but you don't necessarily have the whole story. So you go and you pick and choose from other narratives, and you flush out the character. You know, yes. so they suggest that with, like, King Arthur, you know, that there was a King Arthur, and he did do a certain number of tasks, you know, but to make him be a more robust figure and a more impressive figure, they go and add the story. I mean, even in Christianity, we find, or in, in Christianity, there's the story of Jesus, and, you know, he had a virgin birth, and he rose from the dead, and you know, all of this stuff, and you can go around the world and find, I think there's 21 bullet points, you know, that match that narrative that you find with other religious leaders around the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what makes it so exciting is I, I like to do these bullet points. I like to see, and I also like to wonder why. Um, you know who comes to mind is somebody uh, named Greg Braden, you may or may not be familiar with. I believe he started off as an archaeologist and then uh, deviated and grew into many other things. And he really speaks to me. When I look at his works, his earlier works especially, he, he was coming from the scientific perspective. He was coming from this perspective of um, what is the true root of uh, belief systems, and, and most recently, that is within the last 10 years or so, and I don't know if we should get into this or not, especially our listeners may or may not, hopefully it'll whet their appetite, so maybe I will go there. Um, the books, the the um, Christian texts, what happened to them, um, 25 of them, uh, and they're the Gnostic Gospels, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. Um, but lately he's been speaking of more volumes having been deleted or, or having been edited out, really because that would make people um, complete in themselves without having to rely on some religious leader or someone who elected themselves the leader of something for whatever reason. And being um, of a metaphysical background and a new thought background, for me, meditation empowers the person because I believe we have everything within. And uh, all our DNA, everything that we might look at, all our answers are on um, on an unconscious or subconscious level. Also coming from a uh, clinical hypnotherapy um, background as well. So all one has to really do is stop, get themselves quiet, look into themselves, and I'm so sure a lot of these truths will come to them without somebody imposing their own belief systems or without somebody coming and saying, well, you know, if you don't believe this, you're go- don't- our people or my people, I don't know what your background is, we invented hell. And, and Christians will probably get very upset about that, but we called it the pit, the pit of fire. We'd throw bad people or thieves or whatever into this thing, which eventually became hell, which eventually was used for uh, guilt and, and fear and control and all that sort of thing. But I bet you if we trace back a little bit, or more than a little bit back, to maybe non-terrestrial uh, origins, uh, and maybe you've even done that research. I'd like I to have. find out. Oh, <laughs> let's find out. I'd love to hear your take on this. 
So, I mean, cultures around the world all talk about an underworld. You know, so the Greeks have Tartarus. Um, the Mayan have Zilbaba. You know, the everybody's got one. But what's interesting, okay, well, you're going to love this one. Okay, so no nasty cards or letters. Okay, so I'm going to use Greek culture as the story because people will know the characters involved. And so at one point in time in the mythic record, and we find this narrative pretty consistent, and so I'm just using Greek names for the story. But there is the battle between Zeus, the white-haired, white-beard, white-flowing robe god that lives in the sky, who is battling against Kronos, who is a fertility god, who many times is depicted as being a half-man, half-serpent, who lives in the underworld or beneath the waters. And so, but there's the battle for taking over planet Earth. And because Kronos had been the ruler of Earth, but he was usurped by, by Kronos, the sky god. And so, and after this battle, Kronos is sent to the depths of Tartarus to live there for forever. And so, that narrative is very consistent across cultures, and I think that base story has been changed into God is in heaven, the devil, the serpent guy is down there, and then, you know, and it used to be that hell was the place where the soul went to rest. Only the gods went to heaven or people that were... Uh, chosen by the gods to go to heaven, went to heaven. Then it turned into the rulers got to go to heaven. Then it turned into the special people got to go to heaven. You know, but everybody else went to the place where the souls rest, which was in the underworld. You know, and so it's that dogma, we're going to change the story to meet what we needed to say, you know, but I think these stories are ancient, ancient, ancient. You know, they didn't start with Judaism. They didn't start with the Sumerians. You know, I think that they come from much deeper in, in our history. Absolutely. So exciting. We're going to pause for a couple of minutes to go inward to do a mystical meditation and do a quick promo as well. So everybody stay right where you are. Dr. Rita Louise and I will be right back. Listen and watch Fridays to my podcasts and webcasts on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Spreaker Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Anchor FM, Facebook, YouTube, and Stitcher. Let's go inward now for a few moments. Right here, right now. We become aware of this endless field of love energy in which we reside. We are one and the same with it, individualized expressions of the one which we are extensions of. As we breathe, so does love breathe. As we live, so does love live. As we laugh, create, contribute, multiply, so too does love laugh, create, contribute, 
and multiply. Because love is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, and is always expanding, so too are we expanding. For love needs us to expand and to create, to express, and to be all that it can be. We affirm and we declare right here and right now in this energy of love that we are already all that is great. We all are already all that is eternal and good because that is what we are allowing to be born through us as us. We are already perfection continually blossoming through us as us and it feels good. It feels great. As above, so below. We give thanks for this word, knowing that it is law and is already so in the mind of the universe. We release the word in gratitude and appreciation, letting it be so now and unto forevermore. And so it is. And so it is. Amen. 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 And we're back. And we were having a, an incredible discussion with Dr. Rita Louise, uh, author of Stepping Out of Eden and many, many other books. Um, what came to mind while we were chatting before this break was original sin. And in New Thought Metaphysics, that essentially is karma. And for those of you out there who don't really know what karma is, it's not... Uh, repercussions for negative actions. It's essentially um, whatever you put out energetically, mindlessly comes back energetically. It's not, there's no conscious, intelligent thought of punishment or anything like that. And in New Thought Metaphysics, the idea is not that we're original sinners, but because we've had many previous lifetimes, we, we have karma. We're born into a, a a poop load, did I just say poop load on the air, um, of karma, which um, hopefully we take care of using meditation and scientific prayer, etc. But I'd also like your feedback on this, um, your take on where uh, sin or original sin came from. Was it a tool to control people? Was it a tool to have people be scared? Um, where is this coming from? Interesting question. Cultures don't, I mean, they definitely don't use the concept or the term original sin. I mean, in Indian cultures, they talk about karma, obviously. Um, but what's interesting is one of the earliest things that we find uh, developing in society are laws, you know. And before we had what were laws, you know, Ten Commandments, you know, all that, um, were tabooed, you know, and so if you did this, you were tabooed, and something that was tabooed could be too sacred, like going into the Holy of Holies was too sacred, you know, and touching a dead person was too, you just don't do it, because now you're ritually unpure, you know, and so the lives of our ancestors, our very distant ancestors, and some indigenous cultures today really exist by this whole gamut of things that are good and things that are bad. 
And what's interesting is that ritual and the ritual experience was so tied to their culture that, you know, it's interesting because people will sit there and go, oh, well, baptism, that's a Christian thing, you know, or, you know, or, you know, circumcision, well, that's a Jewish thing. But it's not. Everybody does it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was kind of surprised. I thought that circumcision was kind of, you know, like a Judeo-Christian concept, but no. No, it's a Christian thing. A lot of stuff that is kosher or, or, or Jewish law was based on the fact that there was no refrigeration back there, and a lot of things were based on health and on cleanliness. And, um, and we're, we're actually running out of time, so I want to connect okay. people with you. Um, okay. And um, how are the many ways, hopefully, that folks can get in touch with you, maybe buy your book, read your book? Uh, I know you have many books. We don't have time to list all of them, mm-hmm. which which is why I picked Stepping Out of Eden, one of the many reasons why I picked it. How can folks get in touch with you, Dr. Rita? Sure. So the best way for them to contact me is via my website, which is soulhealer.com, S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com, and they can order any of my books from there or videos. Um, I mean, they're all available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but they can sign for me, which is always better. And, you know, and they can like me on Facebook, Dr. Rita Louise on Facebook, or Psychic Doc on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Hopefully down the road you'll come and visit again because there's a million things we could talk about. (laughs) Thank you once again. And I also want to thank our viewers and listeners there for joining us this time. We're here every Friday at 12.30 p.m. Pacific, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, peace and richest blessings. Join me now, Reverend Dr. Michael Leike, on a journey towards oneness with our higher self and a life of being all that we can be.